This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. All right, so I want to ask you guys a question before we get started. Are you guys taking tonight seriously? Uh, that sounds kind of a weird question, but let's think about it. Take a, take a second. Actually think about it. <clears throat> close your eyes. Everyone, close your eyes. I'm going to wait until I see everybody's eyes closed. Everybody, close your eyes. And actually think, am I taking tonight seriously? Keep your eyes closed. Before you came here tonight, did you think, tonight I'm going to Chi Alpha and I'm going to hear about God. I'm going to hear from God and I'm going to allow him to challenge me and I'm going to allow him to to grow me. I'm going to allow him to convict me. I'm going to allow him to, to help me in my walk. Or was tonight just kind of routine? Was Tuesday night Chi Alpha just something you do on Tuesday nights? Maybe you got a friend that comes and they just bring you along. Maybe you, uh, it's just what you do on Tuesdays. Tuesday night, Chi Alpha, you know, Monday, small group, Sunday, church. Or did you actually think about it? You guys can open your eyes. The reason I ask that is I'm not intending to make you feel guilty or to say that, <clears throat> You're a horrible Christian because you didn't think about it before you came. But what I'm trying to do is set the groundwork for tonight's sermon so that hopefully you guys can kind of understand where I'm coming from and you guys can allow this sermon to actually impact you. And so whether you were prepared for tonight or or not, right now you have thought about it. Hopefully, since I walked you through it, you took the split second while your eyes were closed to actually think about the impact that God might have on your life, the impact that maybe God's going to change you tonight, maybe God's going to challenge you tonight, and you're going to be willing and open to be challenged. Hopefully you guys thought about that, even if it was as I was walking walking you through it. Because um, different parts of our relationship with Christ need and require that kind of thought process before we even enter into it. Like when we pray, It's good to have a routine down of praying, but do you stop and think what significance it has that you're even allowed to pray? What significance there is when you pray? The fact that God of the universe is going to listen to you and hopefully even respond to you, or is it just routine? You wake up, you say a list of commands that you want God to do for you, and then you go about your day. When you read Scripture, Are you just looking at a duty? Are you just opening your Bible to just say, I need to read two chapters because that's what I do? Or I need to read this to make me feel better about myself? Or do you stop beforehand and think, God, I want to see in these words what you want me to see. I want you to impact me through these words. I want you to point out to me what you want to point out, not just me read it empty or without heart, without passion. Because we need to do that. We need to be thinking about it. Because as much as, you know, even that video we watched beforehand, how much it is about Christ, you know, 
walking through sin is about walking with Christ. You know, when you move past sin, it's Christ that helps you move past it. And so we set up these guidelines to help us get closer to Christ. Like, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to go to Chi Alpha, I'm going to go to small group, I'm going to meet on my one-on-one. You start setting all this list of, of things that's going to help you with your walk with Christ, and it does. Don't get me wrong, it definitely does. But sometimes we can almost get too routine with it, and we're completely missing what God is wanting to show us because we're stuck in that routine. Like I said, that has absolute, or I haven't said it, but that has absolutely nothing to do with tonight's sermon. But like I said, I wanted to just kind of pave the groundwork so that you guys can maybe actually hear and uh, digest what I have to say tonight through the sermon. So moving on, how many of you guys have ever been told that your breath stinks? Just like four of us, all the rest of you guys, you just never have had stinky teeth or stinky breath. Stinky teeth, stinky breath, brush your teeth, stinky breath. Like, and I'm, I'm even talking about, like, how many of you guys have had that person just kind of nonchalantly, just kind of, hey, you want some gum or three? You know what I'm talking about. That even counts. So my wife has this amazing sense of smell. And, like, if I forget to, my br- forget to brush my teeth, when I get, like, exactly 25 feet, six inches away from her. She's like, hey, babe, have you brushed your teeth today? And every time I'm like, uh, no. But you know that hits your ego a little bit, right? So like at first you're like, who are you to tell me to brush my teeth? My breath doesn't stink. Your nose is wrong. You know what I'm talking about. And it's one thing when somebody close to you calls you out. Like, have you ever been called out by somebody like, that's not close to you, that you don't even really know. They're like, hey, here's some breath mints. Man, your ego just goes from like, I'm confident to like, oh, crap. This dude thinks horribly of me. Like, it just shatters your perception of, of, of your appearance and how you feel like you appear to those people. You know what I'm talking about. So how many of you guys, by a show of hands, if your breath was stanky and nasty, would prefer for somebody to tell you that your breath stinks by a show of hands. How many of you guys would prefer that nobody told you and you just were blissfully ignorant that your breath stinks? A couple of you guys? I want to say I, I would love it if every time my breath stank, somebody would tell me. But then again, I know that my ego gets a little, a little bit of the best of me, and I know I'd be kind of prideful if every time my breath stank, somebody told me. So I don't really know what I would prefer. Tonight, we're going to be talking about self-righteousness, okay? And just like bad breath, it can be really, really, really hard to tell when our breath stinks. Somebody else usually has to tell us. Same with self-righteousness and pride. It can become... Very, very hard to tell when we're being prideful and being self-righteous. And sometimes we need somebody to call us out on it. But the problem is, in today's world and in today's Christianity and American Christianity, that conversation doesn't take place nearly as often as it probably should. That conversation is kind of saved for, 
that one guy that's just like obnoxiously arrogant. It's a conversation that we need to have, and it's a conversation that we need to have way more frequently than we do within Chi Alpha, within the American Christianity, within your local church. And it kind of stinks that it, it doesn't occur as often as it probably should. Pun intended. Because in uh, self-righteousness and, and prideful thinking and thinking that we're good to go, we tend to compose ourselves in that arrogance a little bit. And it becomes extremely, extremely detrimental to our walk. So if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Luke 18. If you don't have your Bible, it will be up on the screen. And if you don't have a paperback Bible, like an actual paper Bible, come and talk to us. We have tons. We can get you in, in some in your hands. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down, oops, Jesus told the parable, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, talking about the tax collector, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Bible speaks about pride and self-righteousness more than just about anything else other than Jesus himself. It is a huge concern. And so if God talks about it that often and warns against it that often, why is it a conversation that is so easily neglected in our walks? Why is it a conversation that we have such a hard time dealing with? Because more often than not, the person suffering from it, as soon as a sermon begins, as soon as I begin preaching, the person who suffers the most from pride and arrogance is already beginning to think of so-and-so that they wish was here to hear the sermon. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this tonight. They so totally need this. We immediately began thinking of everybody else that's prideful and arrogant and completely ignore ourself in the process. And thus, we become blind to what God wants to show us tonight. And so if you're already beginning to think of that so-and-so that you just wish was here, stop. Think about yourself. This is the one time in your walk I'm going to tell you purposely, think about yourself. And so... Before we continue, in order to allow us to, to hear from the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants tonight, we're going to pray. So everyone bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, just ask you to search us. 
we ask that you would show us our blind spots. Lord, as we walk through this sermon tonight, as we go through this sermon, we pray that you would humble us and to help us confess in areas that we might not have even realized we struggled in. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would have your way tonight. Amen. This piece of scripture is a warning to those who are self-righteous, obviously. It's a, it's a warning to those who are confident in their own righteousness, basically. There's very few people, you know, in scripture when you're reading through the New Testament, it becomes very apparent how much Jesus and the disciples and the early Christians disliked the Pharisees. And for very good reason. I mean, they were extremely persecuted by them. But here in this text, I think it becomes easy to replace the word Pharisee with American. I think the Pharisee is so similar to the average American that it's almost scary sometimes. And so today we're going to replace the word Pharisee with American. And if we're going to think about this, that I guarantee if I walked out on the street somewhere, it doesn't matter, any city you could even think of, and I find a, a just typical red-blooded, whatever, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter, American, off the street, and I walked up to them and I asked you and asked them, do you think you are mostly good? Simple question. Do you think you are mostly good? I guarantee you nine out of ten of them would say yes. Maybe that one out of ten would kind of be like, eh, well, yeah, maybe my good outweighs my bad, and they'd think about it a little bit. But the majority of Americans would almost guaranteed say yes. They believe that that what they're doing and their behavior, that the good outweighs the bad. And that then makes them mostly good. And yet, the average American, even some self-proclaimed Christian Americans, when challenged with what Christianity is teaching, they become extremely upset and they can't stand it. And they'll immediately retort with, so what you're, you're telling me and what you're saying to me is, you really believe that if Adolf Hitler accepted Christ five minutes before he died and repented, that he would inherit the kingdom of heaven. But yet me, who's done mostly good in my life, who volunteers down at the, the homeless shelter, who volunteers at the Boys and Girls Club, who adopted 15 kids, who's, who's done all this good stuff, won't inherit the kingdom of heaven simply because I choose not to believe and I don't agree with your teachings on Jesus Christ and I don't believe that he has redeemed me and I don't believe that he was even real. That becomes a huge problem in, a, in the average American and honestly straight up the average Christian American in, in their viewpoint of Christianity. But that's just the thing. If, if Hitler did repent five minutes before he died, and I mean genuinely repented, not just said a pr prayer to hopefully get into heaven. If, if Hitler genuinely repented five minutes before death, yes, he would be in heaven. And yes, the best, most nicest, most amazingest person you've ever met in your entire life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven if they do not accept Jesus Christ. That is what the Bible teaches. Period. It becomes hard to swallow sometimes. It becomes hard to even really fathom 
that truth. And we tend to, to kind of turn a blind eye to what is really underneath that truth. And we get stuck on that. Like I said, even an average American Christian gets stuck on that. And so I can honestly say it becomes easy to just presume because that's kind of the picture all around in our country that on this campus, the average person genuinely thinks that they are good or at least mostly good. And this passage of scripture that we just read is writing to that exact mindset, that mentality. See, the Pharisees, they were religious leaders. I imagine that even behind the motives of the Pharisees were rooted in good intentions. And so the Pharisee, early on, basically was trying to set themselves apart from the average person in the world because they were Jewish. They were trying to set themselves apart as God's people. They were trying to follow the law. They were trying to follow God's commands. And then the Pharisees were even trying to set themselves apart even from the average Jew and were trying to be even more on point with what God has commanded and and is trying to even go beyond that. And the Pharisees had their own um, verbal laws that took God's laws and took them one step further, such as, you know, within the Pharisees' verbal laws on the Sabbath, they weren't even allowed to so much as push a chair in. They weren't allowed to do any work on, on the Sabbath. And I get that. I totally understand that mindset of trying to set yourself apart, trying to be exactly what God asked you to be, and trying to be even better than the average person around you. You're trying to just be so close to God. You want to be the closest you can possibly be to God on this earth. And in the Pharisees' uh, uh, intentions was rooted in that, in that, that desiring to be closer to God. But yet over time, that intention, that, that set-apartness that they were trying to establish eventually grew into a self-worth, into a, a high and mighty kind of attitude. And they began judging the people who hadn't set themselves apart. They began judging even just the average Jew. And it became a, a major source of self-righteousness and pride. And it became con, con, contorted and, and twisted and completely what the intention was even uh, designed to be. And in this piece of scripture, we also have the tax collector. We can kind of see the kind of person that the tax collector is from what we're reading. But back in that day and age, I mean, even tax collectors today are kind of the the lowlifes. Like somebody told me they were a tax collector, I'd probably slap them. Back in that day, tax collectors were even worse. They were synonymous with the word thief, uh, synonymous with the word unfair. They would kind of just take it upon themselves to collect from people what they felt like they should collect, and then they would collect above and beyond that so that they could line their pockets with other people's money. And they became extremely wealthy sometimes off of other people's suffering. And, uh, and other people's wealth. The tax collectors at that point in time were among the same level as like your prostitutes and your drunkards and your, your street drunks. And so the Pharisee in this story stands up 
and he prays about himself, looking in verse 11. And back to the Pharisee, focusing on the Pharisee a little bit. Before we get judgmental on where the Pharisees even at currently in this story and how their, um, their intentions were twisted, before we begin to judge them and begin to uh, call them out and begin to uh, trample upon them, how many of us in here are guilty of the same kind of thing that the Pharisees fell into? I know I am. One of the biggest examples of that, and, and it's the, in my mind, one of the easiest ways to see if you've kind of fallen into that. You know when you're in like a big group prayer, right? And you got everybody sitting around a circle praying, right? They start with the person to your left, and they're going to go all the way around and come back to you. During the free time in which other people are praying, instead of thinking about what they're praying and agreeing in prayer, we're thinking of how we can word our prayer so that it sounds better, and so it sounds clear, and so it sounds righteous. And we begin to think about bigger words that we could use. We begin to think about different phrasings, different things we could say. And then when it gets down to it and we finally pray, we'll change our voice a little bit. We'll, we'll use those big words. We'll kind of try to make it sound like this awesome, righteous prayer. But the amount of time we actually spent thinking about what should we should be praying about is just a couple seconds, right? I mean, you guys have done that. I do that way more often than I care to admit. We are more focused in that moment on how righteous we sound, how close to God we sound, how good our prayers sound, than actually the important part of it is we're not focusing on what we're actually praying about, what other people are actually praying about and agreeing with them in prayer. I fall into that. I honestly would say I fall into that way more often than I even care to realize. That kind of uh, misguided intention, I would call it. And so let's be careful when we're looking at the Pharisees in Scripture. Rather than try to cast them out and say, we don't suffer from any of the the kind of self-righteousness that they suffer from, and try to say that we are set apart and we're different than them, Let's just kind of look at it from a different perspective. So let's go back to the tax collector, okay? So the tax collector, he's standing there at a distance behind the Pharisee. He won't even look up. He's beating in his chest. How many of you guys have been so upset at yourself that uh, something you've screwed up with or something you've done that you're just so upset at yourself that you just want to smack yourself? You face palm, whatever you want to do, you beat your chest, whatever it is. How many of you guys have felt that just kind of frustration with yourself? I know I have. That's what's going on with the tax collector. He's beating his chest. He's ashamed. He's saying, I know I screwed up. I know I made mistakes. I know that I cannot fix any of this. Can you please have mercy on me? sinner. Have mercy on me, the worst of the worst sinners. Lord, please God, could you do something? He's broken. He's allowing himself to be broken. Because we always need to remember that and I say it all the time in here, when it comes to judgment day, we're not going to be graded on a curve. Just because you hang out with other people that are self-righteous doesn't mean it's okay for you to be self-righteous. 
Just because you hang out with the people that gossip doesn't make it okay for you to listen to it. Just to make yourself a little bit better. You're not actually engaging the gossip, but you're going to listen to it, right? It doesn't make it okay. It is between you and God. Judgment Day is going to be your sins laid out on the table, not your sins compared to Hitler's sins laid out on the table. You are going to be held accountable for your own sins. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you're sitting here thinking, well, overall, I would call myself a good person. Stop. You screw up. You make mistakes. You've made mistakes. I guarantee it. You need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Period. Is Jesus the standard in your life? So just a minute ago, when I said it's not graded on a curve, I might have actually been lying a little bit. It is graded on a curve. But on the high end of the curve is Jesus Christ. Anything that doesn't compare to Jesus Christ falls short. That means everything falls short. So it is graded on a curve, but Jesus is at the top of the curve. It's a pass or fail, and you either are Jesus or you fail. Jesus set the bar, and when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we fall short, period. Not when I compare myself to Reuben, not when I compare myself to Taylor, not when I compare myself to Jed. No, when I compare myself to Jesus, I fall short, period. And so, like, tomorrow, if I walked up to you and I saw you at Walmart, And I walk up to you and I say, hey, do you think I'm mostly a good guy? Chances are you have completely forgot about this sermon already by then. And you'll reply like, yeah, you're a pastor. Of course you're you're a good guy. I mean, you're a pastor. You should be at least. And then if I reply with, compared to Jesus, do you think I'm a good guy? Changes a little bit, right? Mm, No. Compared to Jesus... Am I humble? No. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. When we die, we are judged according to that law. And so since Jesus fulfilled the law, and we're judged according to the law, we are literally held at the standard of Jesus. And if we fall short, we fail. That means... We desperately are in need of a sacrifice to cover our sins. And fortunately for us, that fulfillment of the law, that perfection, put himself up and was sacrificed. Anyone who exalts themselves or tries to make yourself sound better than you really are will be humbled. And if you're in here tonight and you're still saying, I don't do that, shut up, stop it. Yes, you do. So do I. I can't count how many times I've tried to present myself better than I actually was in order to impress somebody. You think you don't? Just wait till you find that guy or that girl that you're attracted to. 
Oh, that changes it, doesn't it? You know? All of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Psalm 36 warns, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their own sin. Pride is our enemy. Self-righteousness is our enemy. In a world where everything is at your fingertips, and it seems like anything you want, you can get. In a world that it literally teaches you that anything you want is within reach. In a world that teaches you that everything almost begins to come easy to us. That you might struggle a little, but ultimately, if you work hard, you're successful, you can do it. We've developed a language of humility, but we don't really walk in it. And what I mean by that is, you know what that walk looks like. You know what the humble walk looks like. You know how you should walk as a Christian. You know the way you should respond. You know the way that you should act. And yet we tend to respond with a a pompous attitude instead. And even though they mirror each other, it is completely different. So tonight, I want you to be thinking about yourself. Like I said, not so-and-so who you wish was here. Thinking about yourself. I want you to think about what your response to God has been lately. Have you been walking humbly before God? And tonight I wish I really could preach a sermon on how to walk in humility. I really wish I could. But the problem is I'd find myself repeating myself over and over again because there's not much to it really. In order to walk in humility, the first thing that we need to do and and, and and walk in and be able to humble ourselves, the first thing we need to do is we need to be self-aware, first and foremost. You need to be self-aware. If there's anything you can do as a Christian that you can grow in and we will always be able to grow in, is always try to be self-aware. Recognize when you screw up. Recognize when you sin. Recognize your, your shortcomings. Be self-aware of your capabilities. Be self-aware of, of that temptation that causes you to sin. Be self-aware. And if there's anything else we can do to walk in humility is to actually think about how far we are off the mark of Jesus Christ. It really comes down to that. When we can look at our walk, look at our life like that, we have no choice than to respond to God exactly the same way that the tax collector did. Reuben, if you could come up. It's going to be a short sermon tonight. Because the easiest way to destroy your humility, now if I could preach a sermon, and maybe I will preach a sermon on how we destroy our humility, I could go on and on and on and on. The easiest way to destroy our humility is to be so focused on everyone else and the ways that they mess up and the ways that they sin, just like the Pharisee, that we become completely blind to our own mess. So tonight I'm going to ask you guys, Matt, can I have you dim the lights? 
tonight I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to be self-aware. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable. I'm going to ask you to think about your walk, not about anybody else's, not any way anybody else has screwed up, not so-and-so who ticked you off before you came in here, not that other person who you're just at odds with. Think about yourself in your own walk, in your own standard. And tonight I'm going to ask you, find a spot before Jesus. Whether that's sitting with your eyes closed, whether it's up walking around, whether it's laying down and eating a piece of carpet. I'm going to ask you to find that place. Get in that mood, get in that mindset. Get in that focus. And focus on Jesus. Focus on his standard. But then at the same time, focus on what his sacrifice means to you. And take a moment to seriously, seriously, Take a step back from your pride and your self-righteousness and ask him with a humble heart to forgive you and then ask him to help you to remain humble. Ask him to show you your weaknesses, to show you where you're not self-aware, to show you those blind spots that you've somehow managed to, to, to keep hidden. It's a tough thing to ask sometimes, but tonight I'm just going to ask you to, to be just like the tax collector, to recognize your weaknesses and to ask God to show you your weaknesses and then respond accordingly. I'll give you guys like two or three minutes. So to finish off tonight, to, to finish off this sermon, just a couple points left. And first point is, it can become easy in our walk when we don't feel like we're hearing from God, feel like God's not talking to us, feel like we're in that dry place. We feel like he's not helping us with our sin. We're not, he's not helping us with our struggles. My response to you is two things. First thing is, think of the very, th- very last thing that you can definitively remember that God's told you to do and ask yourself if you did that. If the answer is no, then go and do that. The second thing is, It doesn't matter if you never hear God's voice, if God never helps you out of the valley, if God never does a single solitary thing for you in your life and he just allows you to struggle and to barely get by. It doesn't matter even if he just completely abandons you in this life. 
our response to him is still the same because ultimately Jesus has already died on the cross for us and we need Jesus the same whether God's going to help us or not. And so even if you can't hear God's voice, I go through seasons where I can't hear God's voice. Sometimes that season happens to coincide with some of the hardest times of my life. But I press in because ultimately God is still holy. God is still perfect. God is still good. God is still pure. And ultimately, Jesus Christ still sacrificed himself for us. And so moving on tonight, now that we have humbled ourselves, now that we have taken a moment and presented ourselves at the altar the way that the tax collector did, I can't let you guys leave here without finishing up this sermon the right way. Because sometimes we can get so focused on our screw-ups and our sin and our problems that we forget something. There's two ends of this equation. There's the the side that you just absolutely are self-righteous and pompous and, and, and full of yourself. And then you can sometimes go too far down the other side and the only thing you ever focus on is beating yourself up and trying to fix yourself and, and trying to fix your walk on your own. Kind of like the, the video we watched before tonight. We have a separate response. Because it is so important for us to remember that Jesus' sacrifice does not leave us broken and bruised and tore up, and then he just abandons us in that. That's not it. Now, because of his grace, we are made new. You have been made new. Our responses. We need to walk in that. We need to walk in that grace. We need to walk in that newness. Because there is a very big difference between remaining humble and walking in grace and being haughty and walking in pride. And though they look extremely similar from the outside, one of us is destroying us and the other is saving us. Walk in that grace, but do not become proud. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for newness. We thank you for, for uh, making us new. Lord, tonight I pray that instead of focusing on what we don't want to be and who we're thankful for, who we're thankful for that we're not, rather than focusing on the fact that maybe we're a better Christian than those around us, that I pray that you would humble us and that you would help us to remain humble and you would help us to remember to always take the log out of our own eye before we start looking for specks in others. Lord, help us to remember that we fall short. But even more importantly, Lord, help us remember that your grace has made us new. And that it is by your grace that we are saved. And it is by your grace that we can even walk in humility. 
Help us to remain humble. Help us to focus on the right things. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I just think it's extremely important to remind you guys tonight, too. Always be focused on Christ first. And focused on your walk with Christ first. And to not find yourself looking at other people's walks, judging other people's walks, judging other people's relationship with God, judging non-Christians for their life, putting down all this judgment until you have focused on your walk first. Yes, we can judge people by their fruit. But remember to ask yourself, am I bearing any fruit first before I judge this person on how he's bearing fruit? Because you might be surprised. So tonight as you guys leave, man, let's just walk in that grace. Don't leave that door holding on any burdens. Don't leave these doors holding on to any sin. Don't leave these doors holding on to any grudges, any unforgiveness. Don't walk through that door until you can walk through that door in humility and grace. If you have to find someone to pray with you, do it. If you feel like there's somebody here that you need to pray for, do it. But don't walk through those doors until you can do it with grace.